Hey, we are starting a new series on giving. Uh, someone said one time, when you see the pastor with the green stole, it must be that he's going to talk about money. <laughs> no, I, green's actually liturgical for ordinary time, but we're going to talk about giving the next few weeks. Uh, but of course, giving is about way more than money, right? So we're going to talk about uh, God's people. We're going to talk about God's grace and our response to that. This week, it's going to be giving in response to beating God. We're going to look at the story of Jacob, uh, uh, one part of Jacob's life in one moment. Next week is giving to build God's church. We're going to look at Exodus. We're going back to the beginning. And then the following week is going to be giving to uh, bless God's world, which is going to be the parable of the talents, Jesus. And the following week, those three will be me, and the fourth week will be our wonderful Jim, who's going to speak about Nehemiah and giving to God's big vision. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, Money will be in there, but it's about more than money, as you'll see. Hear the word of God now from Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Lutz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace and faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your remarkable love and your tenacity you're holding on to us. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. Speak. I pray these words of mine wouldn't be my words, but they'd be your words. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you should know that the passage that that ends with a guy giving sets up with a guy fleeing. Here's how that happened. We have to go back to the beginning. Our guy, Jacob, has a family that is both faithful and, well, dysfunctional. His grandpa, Abraham, was chosen by God, and he was blessed to be a blessing. Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, was an extraordinary guy, 
who did many faithful good things, but he also made mistakes, like telling a couple of kings that his wife was his sister in order to save his own skin. Yikes. Abraham's grandson, our guy today, Jacob, also did good, but he was also quite human. Jacob is born a twin to his brother Esau, and after Esau comes out of the womb first, there's Jacob right behind him grasping Esau's heel. Later on, after they grew, that's from Genesis 25. It literally says that in Genesis 25, 26. He was grasping Esau's heel. Later on, after they grew up together, Jacob took advantage of Esau's hunger by getting Esau to sell him his birthright in exchange for food. In ancient times, the birthright included the inheritance rights of the firstborn. So Jacob, as one scholar put it, was ever the schemer, this Jacob guy was, seeking by any means to gain advantage over others. So you see, this, at this moment, when he schemes Esau out of the birthright, this is the same Jacob who was grasping Esau's heel out of the womb, only now he is gripping and grabbing as a grown-up. Now in our passage today, Jacob is on the run. He is fleeing retaliation from his brother Esau. Not only did Jacob grab Esau's birthright, but he also, according to the Genesis story, grabbed their father, their father Isaac's blessing by pretending to be the firstborn. So he faked his dad out. Thinking, so his dad thought he was Esau, and he got the firstborn blessing because his dad was blind. Dad Isaac was blind. Some sight issues. So Esau is mad at Jacob. This is brotherly discord. And Jacob's mom, Rebecca, basically tells him, you better run. She tells him to flee to her brother Laban in Haran. You gotta get away from Esau because you're, you did this scheming and gripping and grabbing. Now he's gunning for you. You better get out of town. It sounds like you know a soap opera, right, doesn't it? Well, this is a, this, this fleeing that Jacob had to do was a 500 plus mile trip. Would have taken him over a month. We meet him on the way here today on that trip. He's tired, of course. He goes to sleep. Don't you love the humanity of the Old Testament? These people got issues. These people are human. They fight and they scheme and they get tired and they mess up. And there's goodness too. It's a both end. So our text today, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. But Jacob was hardcore. <laughs> sleep on a rock. Now, keep in mind with what's about to happen, what we heard just happens here. We're going to read again. Something remarkable is about to happen with Jacob. Something spiritual is about to happen with Jacob. But keep in mind, Jacob's not on a retreat. Jacob's not in seminary. Jacob's not out serving the poor. Jacob is fleeing the consequences of his own scheming, gripping, grabbing actions. He's on the run. And in that place, 
when he's tired from being on the run, listen to what happens. He, Jacob, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Jacob. Imagine that. I mean, really, imagine that. Imagine God showing up to meet someone who you know who's running from something, something they did wrong. A colleague, a neighbor, a loved one, going their own way, doing their own thing, having blown it, fleeing. And God shows up in their dreams. This is our God. This is the God of Scripture. The God who makes Jacob in his dream can show up in anybody's dream, especially the fleers. Ever wonder what your friends and neighbors and colleagues are dreaming about? God can show up there, right there. Or let's be even more honest, shall we? Have you ever run from a situation of your own making only to have God show up in some surprising, unexpected way? It can happen. God does that. God may be doing that right now for more of us than we realize. It may well be that some of us at least some of us are fleeing something today. We're running from something today, something we did wrong, some slip up, some disobedience, some scheme, some gripping. And look who shows up in our text. Nothing subtle about this. We get angels. We get angelic choreography. We get God announcing himself. And then what do we get? Not God standing up top of the steps, like an angry dad, you're late, you blew it. What have you gotten yourself into? No, this is not the biblical God. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, he says to Jacob. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God provides, God protects, God promises, all that. And Jacob didn't even ask. God essentially says to Jacob, Jacob, I've got you. I hope you hear that today in Jacob's experience. God's got you. Whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, somewhere, somehow, some way, Whatever you're fleeing from, God's got you. God meets you here in this scripture, in this temple, in this vision of this moment. God is saying that to us. I've got you. I will not leave you. Well, Jacob wakes up and it's safe to say he's woke like never before. <laughs> when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
Now read this closely and you'll see something very interesting in Jacob's, Jacob's admission here. What happens here is not about Jacob's attunement to God. What happens here is about God's attunement to Jacob. This is the big story of Scripture again and again. God's initiative with people who run from him or who run from the consequences of their rebellion. That's the big story. God keeps coming. That's grace. That would, that's what makes the biblical God unique. If you look at comparative religion studies, years ago when I was doing ministry at Seattle Central Community College with InterVarsity, I sat in on a class. I uh, audited, I think it was a world religious class. And there was a Buddhist nun who came. And she conveyed to us the rigor of how hard it was to get into a state of enlightenment. It was intense. It was strenuous work. She made that clear. How different is the biblical God who shows up in our tired, worn out, fleeing lives, tired schemers that we are, and says, I got you. Unmerited, unearned, unsought. That's grace. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. The oomph of the text is not on Jacob's super spiritual spidey sense. The oomph of the text is on God's capacity to make himself known. God can get to anybody through his grace, by his grace, anytime, anywhere. Grace, grace, all grace. Often there's this distortion about biblical theology that the the, the Old Testament is about works and the New Testament is about grace. That's not true. Grace is everywhere in the Old Testament. Grace precedes the law in the Old Testament. Before Israel is given the Ten Commandments, God saves them, liberates them from Egypt. That's grace. Then he gives the law. Then he gives the Ten Commandments. In response to that grace, here's how you live. Well, look at how God's grace impacts Jacob. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Lutz. The response is to make an altar. It's a hallowing of space. God uses concrete things. Uh, God, God allows us to use concrete things to remind us of him. Jacob takes earthly stuff and hallows it to God, uses the stuff of the earth to center on God. But Jacob doesn't stop there. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner points out, it may seem here like Jacob is bargaining with God. Yet, this is as thorough a response as Jacob knew how to make, right? Jacob meets God from where he's at, right? He, he is a schemer, a bargainer. You can kind of hear that in how he's interacting with God. Okay, God, if you're going to do this for me, then I'll do that for you. But it is the best he'd know how to do, and it still expressed profound awe, as Dr. Kidner says, 
it expresses a preoccupation with the one who had been encountered, not with the things that were promised. Jacob is way more blown away by God than he is by God's promises here. Surely the Lord was in this place. Jacob is going, wow. And from that, we get this homage and this vow to pledge himself in covenant. Now, other scholars point out that Jacob was following the footsteps of his grandpa Abraham here. Abraham gives a tithe through the priest Melchizedek in Genesis 14. But the difference, scholars point out, the two accounts, is that Abram gives a tenth of the spoils of war that's after battle in four, chapter 14 of Genesis. Abram has a battle and gets his stuff back and then, and then says, I'll give this to God through the priest Melchizedek. Here, Jacob promises not just a tenth of the spoils, he promises a tenth of all. Wheaton scholar John Walton notes that in the ancient world, tithing was often a means of taxation. Tithes were paid to the temple as well as to the king. Since income and personal wealth were often not in money, all goods were included in the calculations of the tithe. So this is where Jacob is coming from here, with all that you give me. Jacob most likely anticipates that any wealth coming to him will be in the form of flocks and herds. And later on in Genesis 35, he goes at an altar and he forsakes other gods, and it is thought that that is likely where he fulfilled the vows in sacrificial honor to God. So with Jacob ending his, culminating his experience of God by giving a tenth, this is a good opportunity for us to think about tithing in general. How does a story like this relate to tithing today? What does the New Testament say about giving to God? Well, a couple just more points that we should look at with Jacob's tithe before we move on. First, remember, in the story, Jacob is never commanded by God to give. Jacob's giving comes spontaneously out of this experience he has with God. Second, notice again that Jacob's giving comes not just in one form, but out of his whole life. All that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, later in the Old Testament, this tithing theme developed as Israelites were commanded, scholars tell us, to tithe on crops and give the firstborn of animals to God. So it was crops and the firstborn of animals that they tithed in Israel. That was the command. But as Bible scholar Michael Morrison points out, the only commands for tithing, the only commands for tithing are in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul never actually commands us to tithe, but he teaches extensively about generosity. And he always bases his appeal on generosity of heart. Jesus, of course, talks a lot about relying on God and being generous. But there's a multiplicity of ways that that looks in the New Testament. You can't really pin it down to one thing. The closest we get to a pattern is 1 Corinthians 16.2, where Paul says... Each tells the Corinthian church, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So he says, save it up, you know, over time. This means every believer, no matter how poor, would make some contribution. Paul doesn't give a definite amount. He leaves it to the conscience of each person. 
Morrison summarizes it this way. The old covenant required 10%. The new covenant does not specify a percentage. And since we do not have a clear command from scripture, we cannot command a precise percentage from Christians today. However, the new covenant admonishes people to give what they can and tithing still provides an instructive point of comparison. For some, 10% may be too much, but some will be able to give more and some are doing so. We have a very generous church here for sure. The new covenant has set no percentages. Instead, it requires more soul searching, Dr. Morrison says. Christians should examine their own circumstances and the better blessings, the even better blessings that have been given in the new covenant through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the big picture of generosity. Again, Jacob's generosity is holistic. He shares his whole self. And uh, one way to think about that is to think about tithing. You've heard us say this is time, talent, and treasure, right? That's a way to, to conceive of it. But of course, we always remember, as is true throughout Scripture, tithing is never a, tithing of any type, time, talent, or treasure, is never a way to earn God's love. It's a way to experience God's love. Tithing of any type in Scripture is never a way to earn God's love. It's a way to experience God's love. By giving, we express trust in God as we give our time, talent, treasure. We express our trust that he's going to provide for us as we empty our time, talent, treasure, he will fill it again. Just like he promised Jacob. He will promise, he promises us. Tithing is a spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, tithing, serving the poor. These are never ways to earn God's love. They are ways to experience and respond to God's love. In his book, The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, Richard Foster writes, if our spiritual vitality seems low, if Bible study produces only dusty words, if prayer seems hollow and empty, then perhaps a prescription of lavish and joyful giving is just what we need. Giving brings authenticity and vitality to our devotional experience. Giving frees us to care. It produces an air of expectancy as we anticipate what God will lead us to give. It makes life with God an adventure of discovery. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey of learning to give in response to the God who gives and gives and gives. And we do that through our giving of our time, talent, and treasure. And that's a key part of our discipleship. All of this requires releasing our grip on some elements of our time or our talent or our treasure. Some people, it's hard to write a check and release some funds. For other people, it's easier to write a check than it is to give up your time, right? Maybe for some of us, as a result of our gripping whatever, we find ourselves fleeing with Jacob and the consequences of our gripping and grabbing have left us tired and we're sleeping on that rock, right? We need rest, we need God. Well, right here, God shows up. You've come to this rock for refreshment and rest, and God is speaking. God is reminding us of all that he's giving, and he's calling us to trust that he is a giver 
can free us to give. May it be so for you and for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reaching out to grabbers and schemers and meeting us. Thank you for the generosity of this church that has given so much. Thank you for your patience as we all struggle to give in certain ways, even if we give in other ways. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for how you're nudging each of us to give in new ways in time, talent, and treasure as we respond to your grace by trusting you more and more. You who have our backs. How, Lord, do you want us to tithe our time? How, Lord, do you want us to tithe our talent? How, Lord, do you want us to tithe our treasure? Lord, you know, you search, you know us, you know our anxious thoughts, you know what makes us grip. We are Jacob in some way. Lord, help us to dream again by your spirit, to dream of you and to see you in your fullness. And I pray that that would release us to give again in, in new ways and live into the new freedoms that you provide on our adventure with you. Thank you, Lord God. Praise you, faithful one. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.